0: Wondering if the shortcut through the spooky forest is a good idea? Well, that's because you're an idiot. But welcome to the Lollygaggers podcast, anyway. On this episode, Justin talks code names and Shape of Water, while Jeff plays Renegade and avoids murder in a French chalet. Both Lollygaggers then break down the horror thriller The Ritual, and then The Night on the Gentleman's Challenge. Welcome to episode nine of the lollygaggers podcast. This is a show about all sorts of different geek things, um, board games, the video games, movies, the TV. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Jeff.
1: I'm the other one, Justin. Yeah. Hey man, how are you doing? I'm all right, you know, can't complain too much. Had a lazy day. Uh, I can complain. Oh, uh, really? You go ahead. Yeah,
0: I, I, got, I got something, I got I beef. Complain about
1: Tell me about yeah, your beef. Well,
0: okay, so we touched on this last episode, uh, with, like, a whole bunch of cancellations and stuff like that on TV. Because apparently, like, last week, I think in a span of, like, two or three days, there's, like, 20-something shows canceled. Uh, but one of those shows uh, was The Expanse. Uh, it was canceled. It made me very upset. I'm still very upset about it. Uh, but there is a, a little movement going on on the old interwebs. Ooh, movement. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hashtag Save the Expanse. Uh, so, I guess... People are tweeting out this little infographic, uh, and I am one of those people who tweeted that as well. Uh, but it's it's basically raising the question: like, how the heck is sci-fi canceling a show that, on Rotten Tomatoes, ha- like its third season, which is currently airing right now, has a hundred percent like critics rating and a hundred percent user rating, and yet they they're I mean, like, nope, we're gonna cancel. Who, it. Who would watch that? Yeah, I know.
1: I mean, the I average. understand
0: it's like a I understand it's a ratings game. Like, I totally get it. I understand like there's money involved and stuff like that, but. Like how demoralizing is that if you're, if you're like a content creator, if you're actually writing something really cool like that and you're putting it out there and critics are like, yeah, it's great. And everyone who watches it are like, yeah, it's great. And then the people are like, nah, we're just, we're going to cancel it.
1: Yeah. It's a little it. ridiculous. I don't understand really how the whole Nielsen thing works or how they just do like yeah. ratings in at all right now anymore. It seems so arbitrary and silly because like, like the whole Brooklyn Nine-Nine thing, like Mm -hmm. there's so much like big stuff about that show being so loved and then like they're gonna cancel it it happens with a lot of shows and i just feel like the 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 standard way the i guess like kind of the old way they do stuff just isn't working anymore and then the analytics they have online i don't understand how they're working it but it doesn't seem to be relevant to what's going on either so yeah i have no idea how they track uh track ratings too much these days
0: like i follow a couple you know certain certain sites for that kind of thing like i know tvline.com i go to from time to time to get my relative tv news but even that focuses on a lot of shows i don't really care too much about but yeah i mean it's hard to it's hard to like kind of figure it out but i don't know i'm still kind of upset about it uh i know that i can always fall back and, and finish reading the books i'm i don't know i'm on like a, i'm on like book three or four i can't remember something like that summer in i haven't finished the book series so like I, I sort of stopped reading the book series when the TV show came on. So, I mean, worst case scenario, I'll just go back and finish reading, which is, you know, fine. I like reading, but I don't know. As of the recording of this podcast, however, uh, The Expanse has not been picked up by another home. But a lot of people on the old interwebs are, are kind of pushing for it. But, hopefully, yeah, it so that's, okay. that's my beef. Yeah, hopefully it pulls a, a Brooklyn Nine-Nine and we get it on, like, you know, Netflix NBC. Or Hulu or something like that. <laughs> no, no, no. No, 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 no! I don't want, I don't want it on network. I don't want sci-fi on network. They don't, they don't handle that too well. So. All
1: right. So other than that, super tragic news. What else be, man? <laughs> All right. So my
0: wife and I got a new board game uh, to the table uh, recently. Uh, so about a week and a half ago, got a, a little package in the mail from uh, Victory Point Games. Uh, it's a game called Renegade. It's a Kickstarter I backed. Oh, I don't know, about a year or so ago. Um, but it's published by Victory Point Games, and they've published a couple other games as well. I remember them publishing Darkest Night, I believe, and uh, that's the first one that comes off the top of my head. Uh, and it's designed by a guy named Richard Wilkins, but he's better known uh, by his name Ricky Royal was his the uh, like his YouTube channel. He's a uh, he's kind of like he does like board game overviews and previews uh, for all sorts of board games, primarily games that are played solo. Um, I remember I I came across his channel a couple years back when I was looking for I was like should I buy this game called Mage Knight which is a fairly complex uh, like fantasy game uh, and I was like should I buy Mage Knight and I looked at his you know his walkthrough and then uh, I also wa- watched his walkthroughs for like Mistfall which is another game I have and, and enjoy and Zimby Mojo so like he he has moved away a little bit or not moved away but like he's now designing a game or he designed a game and it was on Kickstarter last year. And it was pretty cool. So uh, I backed it and it just came and we, we started taking it out for a spin. So uh, Renegade is its name. It's a cooperative game for one to five players and it's set in kind of like a cyberpunkian style future. Uh, and, it, and I don't know exactly what year or anything like that, but it's the time of the super massive computer is, is, I think that one of the, one of the phrases they use and they call it SMC. Uh, but there's a supermassive computer by the name of mother that has taken control of society basically this is the the theming like a little story behind it all um and, but it's did so for its benefit because like humanity was getting like increasingly you know bad making bad decisions doing immoral things and stuff uh but in taking over humanity mother like freed it of crime and poverty but also took away free will et etc cetera, et cetera. so it's controlled by this this overpowering massive computer Uh, And so a group of outcasts called renegades, which is what the players play, uh, are rebelling against Mother and they're attempting to hack into Mother's network uh, in order to liberate humanity. And so that's sort of the premise, the theme of the game. And so everybody plays uh, a specific renegade uh, during the process and they work collaboratively to hack into the system. And every single single renegade has its own unique powers, which is pretty cool. And they have their their own little personality and art and stuff like that. Uh, they all have their like. They have like one or two special powers. Sometimes passive. Sometimes like. I think they're mostly passive, actually. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, it's a kind of an abstracted depiction of hacking. Like, I mean, when I know a lot of complaints people have when At least I have. I know when I watch certain TV sh- TV shows or like movies, it's like people's depictions of hacking are always kind of ridiculous. Um, Does anyone so, ever so,
1: say I'm in?
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we didn't do that. But no. I think we just started off playing again. I don't know. I don't know. So. The, the board game's kind of interesting. It's a modular board, um, meaning like there's not one static layout. Like there's a, there's five or six different uh, like weird hexagonal type tiles that are broken up into smaller like hexagons. and they're all kind of colored. And each of these colored tiles is a specific um, is a specific server. And then each of the hexagons on each tile is a partition. And then when you piece them all together to create the game space, uh, you have the network, and so your goal is to get. You know, you're you're hacking into that network at a specific location, and you're trying to battle Mother or whatever other AI. And so you're working against that particular SMC. So it's you're you're definitely playing against the game. And there's there's a couple different SMCs that you can play against. Um, there's a RS20 simulator, which is like the tutorial one, which just teaches you how the game plays, which is really cool actually that they have that in there. There's another one called Alpha Mobi, another called Spider another called Viking, and then there's Mother herself that you can play against. Um, so over the course of the game, like, hackers have a, a toolbox, like a hacker's toolbox, which is basically a deck of cards, uh, and they can perform a whole bunch of actions. Some of those actions allow you to create pathways that allow your character to move more easily around the network, so it makes it easier for them to move from one space, like one partition to another. Uh, some allow you uh, to infect the network with viruses or like these little replication contaminants uh, and some of them allow you to remotely access different areas of the map itself so you don't actually ever have to move your uh, your player and you could just remotely hack a different server from one you know, completely opposite side of the map, which is really nice. Uh, and you can also purchase new cards during the course of the game through the Hack Shack uh, to like kind of improve them, get better ones. But you always have like a 15-card 15, uh, 15 deck. Now, all the while... Like, all, all while this is happening, like, the, the SMC that you're fighting against is launching all sorts of various countermeasures to fight off your intrusion. Uh, so there's these things called sparks, which they use, and they move around the network. And if enough of them um, all join in on the same single hexagonal partition at the same time, they morph into a guardian. And these, uh, and these guardians can do away with all of your contaminants because hackers are trying to, like, throw contaminants onto the board in order to survive and, and kind of battle off these countermeasures. Uh, there's also, like, even more uh, more difficult versions of sparks and guardians called flares and firewalls, which are very similar, but they're just a little bit more powerful. Um, players lose the game if too many of these countermeasures come onto the board because there is a finite amount. So, like, the amount, of, I think there's something like five or six guardians that you can have on the board at once, and if you go to put another one on, if, you're, if the game tells you to, to put another one on and you don't have any... Any tokens left, and you try to put another one on without any to, to place, then you automatically lose the game. So you have to you're you're constantly battling all these countermeasures and trying to find ways to infect them with viruses, to remove them, or to or to modify them to make them look like one of your contaminants or something like that. Um, so it's pretty interesting. There's like a there's like the players win if you can survive through all of the game cycles. So there's like a a, a bunch of different cycles that you have to get through, and you have to get through the different like objectives and. If you complete certain objectives, you get extra points. Because at the end of the game, if you've survived all the way through, yes, you win the game. But like, how effectively you survived, like if you were able to complete the certain objectives, so like that, you get like higher score. Uh, so it's pretty cool. Um, it's a pretty small box that it comes in, so it's not it's not that big of a game, but it's it's dense in the sense that there's a lot to t- kind of sink your teeth into. So it's a it's a fairly complex game um, in, in terms of strategy. Like at first uh, some of the rulebook i was just like hmm this looks more complicated than i thought it was going to be but then i started playing it i went through the tutorial i flipped through like in the back of the rule book that there's this uh, nice little section that gives you like a walkthrough of what certain turns would be like and it makes it super easy to understand uh, and so really the difficult parts after like just going through the playthrough is just sort of figuring out the strategies and the tactics like how are you actually going to go about you know solving these problems and and making sure that uh, all of those countermeasures aren't piling up in the wrong way so um, it's pretty cool. I, I have the Kickstarter version and they have been delivering over the past month or so or a couple of weeks, at least like all the Kickstarter versions to the backers from last year, but it is coming to retail. Um, right now, if you go up on miniature market or on cool stuff, you can get it for 36 or $32 respectively, or you can pre-order it. I should say it's not yet available, but you can pre-order it. So it's coming. Uh, but so far I'm really, really enjoying it. I really like it uh it's a little abstract but i really do like the theme and i think the theme even though it's slightly abstracted it's actually applied pretty well here and uh, and it's easy to get into like i played a dude named uh monty quantum and i was able to like ghost different hubs it was pretty cool so i was like constantly doing like the whole ghost in the it shell references so and stuff, stuff like
1: that it's yeah, yeah. Have, so uh did you have brass goggles
0: uh
1: no i can't remember if monty had goggles but someone's totally got goggles you gotta have goggles right you never yeah. know goggles and enough. like Things on your arms and metal belts. Yeah, me. I love cyberpunk. It's fun. So anyway, that is Renegade uh, from Victory Point Games.
0: Uh, definitely a, a, a thumbs up, and I'm glad I backed it. So, what
1: about you, man? I heard uh, I heard you were playing a board game. I it was. I uh, mean, the way I've been flirting with the idea of kind of just expanding our board game stuff a little bit, and uh, I love that idea. That is an excellent idea. You should do that. We uh, we got code names, um, and so. It's just regular code names. It's not Disney or Marvel or whatever, and so we decided to play a two-player version of it. Okay, and so it's the
0: one that you play when you are out here, right? Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Okay. Um,
1: so basically, the way it works with a normal game works in the way of basically you have two teams, and uh, one person's the is the spy master, and they have a card, and on that card is a sequence of colors. On the table, you have to place down. Uh, it's five, 25 cards, it's a five by five grid. And so basically these cards all have different words on them and the way you basically try and get the ones that are your colors is the key master basically the spy master has to say one word and then a number. So say you had tree and leaf, you could say plants two, And so it means they have to pick two words that are code words that associate with plants. And so, If they guess it right, you then get to put your color on there. And the whole whole objective is to get all of your colors before the other team gets all their colors. Meanwhile, also avoiding their answers and also avoiding the assassin. When you hit the assassin, the game's over, and then the other team wins. So, basically, it's it's a, a series of different rounds of that. Yeah. With two people, basically the way it works is, it's you versus a ghost, pretty much. And... You still do the same thing, but the other team gets one spy revealed every round. So basically it's like a ticking clock. It's trying to beat the ticking clock. It wasn't terrible. Like I, I enjoyed playing it, but like I found very shortly that as long as you just get one word around, you're gonna win. Because of the way it's set up, since they only get one thing around, you always go first. Right. So I think with just two people, not great. but what I did love about it is when we went over to Arizona and we saw we played with a group of people, you can psych each other out. you can oh, screw yeah. with each other. It's really, really fun. And then when you get their stuff, it's, it makes it even better. And like the kind of the doubt with you and a group of people, like when it's one person, you can have one line of thinking, you're fine. But when you have five people, they can bring up other suggestions that make legitimate sense and so it makes you doubt yourself and what you're thinking so i just think it's a lot better with uh a group of people i think it's still a, a great game it's just i think right we'll probably play it more with group rather than just me and her so sure
0: but it was I, fun I, I will say there is a uh codenames duet version uh, yeah that's that's designed i think specifically for for playing with two i have not played it so i don't know for sure i still only have the original because that's fine for me and like we've talked before on the podcast about like the different themes as well. So,
1: well, I just know uh, that when I go to a friend's house, I can take this. It's easily transportable. Totally. It's a small little box, and it's and it's it. not hard
0: to play. And the cool yeah. thing
1: is, like, even people who
0: aren't like I'm a super board game table topper. You know, like I, I get into it pretty heavily. But even like even people who I know aren't as into it as as me, I can get them to play it. So like that's the type of game. Like it's it's a simple it's a simple game. It's not too. You know, I don't want to call it a party game, but I mean, kind of is in a way, sort of like a light party game. It but, just depends
1: uh, on how you you approach it. You know, mm-hmm. like if you approach it with some friends in a, in a fun way, it can be really fun. That's what we did when we were at your place. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. But yeah, so we played that. What else have you been up to, man? Okay, so uh, I just finished up watching a
0: mini series on the old Netflix uh, called The Chalet. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's rainbow six map the chalet. no it's not That's no. the second time you made that joke no yeah, no you know, it's still not. though it's a good man um so it is a french uh mystery thriller and it just popped up on netflix uh, uh back in april I'm Not exactly sure when but back in april um it's six episodes long and it actually has an end uh, so you can watch it beginning to end each episode's about 50 minutes or so give or take um so you know it's about six hours worth of watching and we watched it basically one episode a night maybe two episodes a night for over the course of a week and we were done um and so it was really nice i'm really enjoying a lot of these shorter run television shows that have been coming on i mean much of many of them are like are like foreign shows um so but you know it's it's still really really interesting right um it is in french though so you're either gonna have to watch the dub or do the subtitles and i prefer subtitles so we watch that so if that's like a, a non-starter for you then you know, oh, well, uh, but it stars several French actors and actresses with really beautiful names like and here we go. <clears throat> you ready? Uh, Chloe Lambert, Ooh. Manuel Blanc, Ooh. Philippe Dussault, uh-huh. and Pierre Benoit Varoclea. That's my favorite. Chris Benoit? Totally... Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not Chris Benoit. <laughs> I studied German in college, so I don't believe in beauty, only utility. So I don't okay.
1: know. I we I don't only I pronounce... laugh when it is necessary. <laughs> What are you doing?
0: I, uh, I don't think I got any of those right. But anyway, um, but you're not, you're probably not going to recognize anybody is the point, but who cares? That doesn't matter. Uh, So anyway, the show, it follows the reunion of some childhood friends at an incredibly remote village of Valmoline uh, in the French Alps. Uh, so it's just like really small, idyllic village uh, up in the mountains that's really detached from like civilization. And it's all modern day. It's all set modern day, whatever. Uh, two of those friends are getting married. Um, and they're I think they're holding it up there because of how pretty and idyllic it is um the the village itself has been slowly dying off because it it isn't really connected, but there's a chalet uh, like the like the, the actual you know title of the show where people are staying. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, you know you've got this fairly large cast of characters uh because like one of the first, in the first episode, within the first 20 or 30 minutes or so, like like people start showing up, and so it's a bunch of people. And so there's like 10 or 12 people, and you're like, okay, I, there's a lot of names. I, I don't know if I can keep track of all these. Don't worry, uh, because uh, it's, it's going to be really small. Uh, the, they're going to start dropping off, uh, because that's the type of show this is. This is a mystery thriller. I don't want to call it horror, but like it's got a little touch of that. It's more mystery thriller. They're like suspenseful, that kind of stuff. Uh, but stuff starts happening. People start disappearing, is essentially what's going on. Um, now, there's also a secondary storyline that's covered in the show that's a flashback. And it's to 20 years ago at Valmeline when the Rodier family uh, was there. And it's it kind of explores those in, in somewhat nonlinear fashion. And it's, it's really just sort of presenting these little snippets. And the idea or the suggestion is, is there stuff that went down in the past 20 years ago that's affecting like the present day storyline and what's actually going down? So like, you're trying to figure out the mystery of like, who might be preying on this wedding party that's up in this beautiful village. Like, why are they, uh, why are they doing this? Uh, so I have not spoiled a darn thing, uh, because I don't want to, cause it is totally mystery. It reminds me of a, of a show from like 12, 15 years ago called, uh, Harper's Island, you ever, did you ever watch Harper's Island?
1: No, I've never, I've never listened to Harper's Island or seen it. I've never, I have no idea what that is.
0: Yeah, it was a show, it was like a one-season sort of special event show where, again, people, I think it was set in the Northwest on an island off Washington um, where people were kind of coming for a wedding and uh, there was a crazy person running around killing people. So it was kind of that type of thing. Uh, So it it reminded me of that. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. I'm not going to say it's like the greatest thing ever. There are some weird moments, uh, things that didn't... uh, didn't add up sometimes but overall i thought it was really good um and it's a six episode it can only come in for six episodes so you're getting the story like so often we watch these television shows and they don't end for like two or three or four years or sometimes they end prematurely without any sort of resolution so i really like these little shorter run shows that actually have uh have resolutions so that's the chalet with a bunch of french people who are far better people than <laughs> with
1: people. a bunch of french people <laughs> no it's pretty cool though it's pretty cool um, all right, what about you, buddy? I watched The Shape of Water. Um, ah. One of my students, um, who frequents this uh, podcast quite a bit, uh, decided to, for Teachers Appreciation Week, uh, to give me a, a DVD copy of The Shape of Water. Uh, I told him a while back that Guillermo del Toro is probably my favorite director of all time. Um, I love pretty much anything that guy makes. Um, Pan's Labyrinth is, is wonderful. The Hellboy movies are fantastic. So uh basically it is written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, won a couple Oscars, uh, best director and best screenplay, or no, best director and best movie. Uh, or whatever it is best film, or whatever it is. Uh for it stars Sally Hawkins, uh, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, and Octavia Spencer. Uh Sally Hawkins is in the uh the uh what's that Bear movie? Paddington Bear movies. Uh, Michael Shannon's been in a ton of stuff. Um, he was Zod. Uh, Richard Jenkins has, was the father from Step Brothers, which is one of my favorite roles of his of all time. And Octavia Spencer's an Oscar winner and she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. Anyways, it follows a, a mute woman. Um, Eliza, who basically works for a government facility as a janitor and as she's exploring doing her job uh, with Octavia, her, her her partner, her name's Zelda, uh, they come across this one area um, where they're asked to kind of clean up, it, clean up the spots, and they bring in a tank, and in this tank is a, they call it the Asset. It's a new specimen, and she kind of sees it, and it's like a, a merman, kind of like Ape Sapien from Hellboy, um, but way more detailed. Um, one day she is uh, asked to clean up more after it because it somehow cut off the fingers of Michael Shannon's character and she had to go clean all the blood up off the floor. And in doing so, she views the thing more and starts spending her lunch times with it and kind of garnering a relationship with this creature. There's tons of undertones of racial disparity because it takes place I think in like the late 50s really early 60s it's really late 50s Um, and there's a lot of racial undertones Um, uh, Richard Jenkins character is a homosexual so like he there's a lot of those undertones too because it's all kind of like laid with metaphors and stuff like that so um, over time they decide that The U.S. government decides that they need to either, you know, they need to kill it and she wants to save it. So she basically falls in love with this thing. Because it's the only thing that's ever seen her for her because she hasn't been able to talk since she was a child. And so it's basically just a story of love and of indifference and of um, crazy psychopath uh, Michael Shannon. She plays a crazy person real good. He's been doing it really good in a couple movies and TV shows so far. Um, the special effects are phenomenal. Guillermo del Toro has a, a very specific look to his films. Lots of green hues, lots of, of strange lightings and, and color splashes. And tentacles. Lots yeah, of tentacles. tentacles. He loves tentacles. Yep. Um, uh, he loves his uh, HP Lovecraft type of stuff. Um, and the colors pop. I can see why it won Best Picture because there's a lot of homage to Hollywood and the Oscars love that stuff. Um, old 1950s TV and, and film. There's lots of moments like that. Um, it's really is just a beautiful film of just like... Uh, uh, someone who finally finds someone who understands them. And it's... It's um, it's it's strange because that person that understands them is... Uh, a, a swamp monster, essentially. It's basically the creature from the Black Lagoon. And... Um, it's just a really, really great story. It's, it's, it's very reminiscent of Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth has a really rich, beautiful story of this little girl and the torture she's going through in her life. Mixed with just horrific scenes of brutality and violence. And that's this movie too. Like, There's a part in this movie where a guy gets dragged by his face that has a hole in it from a gunshot. And I was like, oh my god and it's, like, that's what Guillermo del Toro does. He'll do like something, he'll make this beautiful art piece of just wonderful, like, um, like animatronics and, and makeup design. And then he'll do something just horrifically gross too. He does it all the time. And so I'm, just, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, so I, I love the movie quite, quite a bit. Um, I'm glad that my student was nice enough to give it to me because I, I really, really do appreciate it. And, uh, I see why I got best pictures. Guillermo del Toro is a master, and he's, he's he's still up there in my, probably my favorite. It's like him and Peter Jackson pre-Hobbit. I don't think he had much to do with the Hobbit, but, like, he gets a little bit too green screeny. But, like, I just, I think the Guillermo del Toro is just really special. So, anyways, that's The Shape of Water. I'm pretty sure no one's ever heard of it before. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot. It's a really, it's a really great movie. So, that's enough about that. You got anything else for me?
0: All right, so this is a little quick update from something I mentioned back in episode two. So in episode two, I was talking about a game called Xeno Shift, which is both a board game and a mobile app. So it's it's a little bit of both. Um, so I'm not going to go into it pretty heavy here, but just a quick reminder if you didn't listen to that episode or if you don't know what it is, it's like a Starship Troopers theme. And so everyone... Uh, is defending a base against wave after wave of like these really aggress- uh, aggressive alien creatures. Uh, and it's a deck builder too. So you're building your deck, and over the course of the game, in between waves, you're recruiting stronger troops and you're purchasing and equipping more advanced technology and weapons and armor, et cetera. Uh, so back in episode two, I talked about how I played the physical board game Xenoshift Dreadmire, and then I played Xenoshift Onslaught, the app, because Xenoship Onslaught is the first. Of the XenoShift games. Uh, it has a physical physical version, and then they adapted that for uh, a mobile app. But Dreadmire had not yet been adapted for the app. Well, that has changed because Dreadmire is now available. Uh, so it's it was uh, adapted by Asmodee Digital, just like the original XenoShift app. Um, and this is now available as like an ad of like a bio, like an add on or something like that, like you can actually buy it directly within the app itself. Um, like in the actual Xeno shift onslaught app, there's a little menu. It says, Xeno store and within the Xeno store, you can purchase Dreadmire for three 99. So it's like an entire, another board game worth of cards, all sorts of new, uh, new waves of aliens, crazy things, weather adaptations stuff like that, that you can add to the, add to the base game. Now the base game is four ninety nine dollars uh, for the app. So if you add in the other one, you're looking at, you know, nine bucks or so for the whole thing. Um, I'll also say like you're getting two board games worth of content. in that. So like, I, I think it's a pretty de- decent deal. And it's also nice because like the app is, uh, lets you, you know, it does all, it does all like the, the bookkeeping for you. You don't have to do it yourself. Um, I'll also mention that you can, you can buy as like these little 99 cent add-ons, the grafting lab and the psychogenics lab. Which are two locations that were that came through on Kickstarter on the Xenoshift Dreadmire Kickstarter that you can actually get to play on the app itself. Um they're new locations and then the location within Xenoshift is basically like playing a role. And they each each location has like its own special set of properties. And when you play the game, everyone takes a location and they go from there. Um, so the the grafting lab's about like Taking alien, you know, alien DNA and and finding ways to graft and adapt it to like the soldier's body and the psychogenics lab is all about like, uh, you know, mind stuff like uh, psychological or psychic powers and things like that. So just a quick update on the Xenoshift Dreadmire. It is now available as part of the Xenoshift digital app by Asmodee Digital. Uh, So go check it out if you have not already. It's pretty fun.
1: Nice. Yeah, man. Um, Last thing for me, I got a little movie roundup. So I like to do this every once in a while. A bunch of movie info. So first thing is, this is all kind of like comic book and video game related, I guess. Um, okay. your but your voice yeah. get really highlight like that. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, first thing is, Fear is getting a movie adaptation.
0: Did you ever okay. play the game Fear? Uh, I played F3AR. I played that. I don't know what that is. That's the third, third one? one. Okay. And they got clever and they made <laughs> it a backwards. They
1: made it a three to make it look like a backwards E. It's uh, so clever. Yeah. So they're making a, m- a movie off of it. It's called uh, The First Encounter Assault Recon. That's what fear stands for. I remember playing this when I was a kid. Uh it's probably like 15, 16. It scared the bejesus out of me. I couldn't take it. Um, oh, my god. Stuff flying from the walls. I can't take it. I'm a giant wuss. And um, yeah, I mean, I was going to say like, you're, you're really
0: good on the whole horror stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm terrible at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: It's being produced by Warner brothers digital and, uh, uh, machinima. I don't know if it's going to be like a movie movie or like a YouTube thing. I'm not sure, but it's a machinima thing. And I don't know how deep machinima is into like film. Um, but basically the, the story of the game was the fear, uh, group was called to deal with, uh, Alma Wade, who is the center of the this uh, science experiments, and all these things, and so they're trying to deal with her, and she has all these weird psychic abilities, and so it's a, a horror thriller off of that, and so they're making a, a movie out of that here soon. So, much like most uh, video game movies, I'm sure it's going to be solid and wonderful. So, I can't yeah. think of a single one that I don't like. There was sarcasm in that. Yeah. yeah. Next, kind of going off of video game movies, Mila Jovovich is going to star in a new uh, Monster Hunter adaptation in the movies. Okay. You know, the uh, uh, Japanese RPG game. Mila Jovovich is going to star in that Japanese RPG game. So... I'm sure that's gonna be good too. Next one, yeah, I uh, like the Resident Evil movie, so I don't. The hate first anything. one's good. The rest of them are perfect They were all fantastic. Uh, next thing, Paramount is developing a Snake Eyes from GI Joe movie. Oh. So, um, I thought
0: when you when you said Snake Eyes, it was the old
1: Nicholas Cage. Kissini no, 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 no that, that was too perfect of a movie. They don't want to make anything to ruin oh, it. Oh God, I love that movie. Um, so they're gonna make a Snake Eyes from GI Joe spinoff. And I don't know how they're going to make a movie based off a guy who doesn't talk, but I'm Did, sure it's going to do one. that
0: with, uh, with Deadpool. Cause like when I first like, was introduced to Deadpool, don't, uh,
1: nope, he, would, nope, he nope. didn't have a mouth. Don't like, don't say these things. And they, He's just going to upset sp- me. That, okay. You're doing this All on right. purpose. Yeah. A we don't bit. we don't speak of that movie. It never we can't because we don't have a mouth. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> the last bit, uh, also super setting. They're making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Oh. And it's being yeah. filmed in Vancouver in July, which means it's going to be live action Sonic the Hedgehog. Is it a real hedgehog, or is it going to be somebody I, else? I don't know. I'm sure it's going to be CGI I hope it's something. a real hedgehog. hedgehog. I hope it's just a guy <laughs> that they just dipped in blue paint, and he's just trying to run as fast as <laughs> he can, and he steals people's jewelry because he wants gold rings. So Sure. Who doesn't? So that's my exciting movie, comic book, video game roundup. So I hope you enjoyed it. So there was that. I didn't, yeah, I didn't. Good. This is, all these things are exciting. Fear movie, Monster Hunter movie, Snake Eyes movie, Hedgehog yeah. movie, I mean, come on. Man. all good.
0: So uh, <laughs> let's <laughs> let's transition, uh, please, desperately, uh, over to something else. Uh, so we're gonna head over to the breakdown for this week. Uh, speaking of horror movies.
1: It's the movie. <laughs> break
0: down <laughs> the ritual is a netflix original horror movie directed by david Bruckner and based on a novel by adam neville in it four college friends luke phil hutch and dom head on a hiking trip to sweden in honor of their friend robert who passed away six months prior now, on their return trip to back to civilization uh, they take a shortcut through a mostly unexplored forest now, as is the case in these types of movies, the shortcut backfires terribly, terribly wrong, and the friends find themselves dealing with haunting dreams, bizarre effigies, and something much worse that seems to be stalking them in the night. Now, As always, we'll try our best not to spoil too much, but with a movie like this, we're bound to reveal a few little things here and there. Uh, so if you want to avoid all spoilers and watch the movie yourself, you might want to skip ahead to the Little Roleplay segment or to Gentleman's Challenge. Uh, but other than that, we're going to head over and talk about The Ritual. Justin. You uh you normally don't like scary horror movies, and this is a scary horror movie, or at least it, it wants to be. So, uh, uh, how did you react? What'd you think?
1: Um, I liked it. Um, it yeah. I, I was it was just creepy enough for me. Okay, All right. I, I, I wasn't weird. I wasn't pooping my <laughs> pants, so oh, it that's, was that's lovely. Which so I didn't ruin the couch. So um, oh my God. it for me it was scary enough. There wasn't a ton of jump scares. There wasn't a ton of... There's just, like, creepy stuff. Yes, um, and I
0: actually agree. I appreciate that, because, like, the jump scare stuff gets a little irritating. Yeah. And I, I definitely like the creepy ambiance building, which is what this uh this movie kind of focuses like on. Any, like,
1: anything can startle you. I can go, ha, and scare you. You know, it's just yeah. one thing where it's like... If you're setting up a, an environment to make it pretty neat, I, I yeah. enjoyed it. Um, yeah. The whole movie kept me pretty intrigued the whole time. The different like set pieces they were doing during like these like dream sequences or like hallucinations whatever they were doing was going on. I thought those were really cool and interesting. Those were really interesting.
0: Yeah, like it's like a blend of like a like a supermarket slash forest thing yeah. sort of going on. It was really interesting because
1: because yeah. the main character keeps on uh, remembering Having, the time when his 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 friend died. Yeah, um, and that
0: all happens like he was remembering a specific moment that happened within the first like five yeah. minutes of the
1: movie. It's it's yeah. the basically the main plot driver. Yeah, it's of
0: the, movie. the inciting thing, and it's inciting incident. On everything. So, um,
1: the, the few things I noticed about it was very Blair Witch esque. Um, yeah, I got those. I got a little bit of those vibes too. And marks sure. on the trees, mm-hmm. uh, sounds outside of the tent. Sure, but it it, it wasn't. It, it took the good parts of it. So so there's things of it where it's just kind of like it seemed like it wasn't terribly original at times because. You know a lot of that stuff was echoed 20 years prior you know what i mean yeah and but i don't
0: think blair Witch is like original or anything like that yeah but blair just Witch like was
1: it, it seems pretty close camcorder. yeah um yeah, maybe i thought um i liked how they had limited screen time of the uh, main antagonist if yeah i think that was stalking them. yeah, yeah. yep i like that they kept the very secret until the very end yeah there were moments
0: too when like they would zoom into like a section of trees i'm like i know the camera's zooming in i know that i means i should be hyper attentive right now and i should be finding something
1: wait wait did something move i can't tell and you you get like little glimpses like little movements yeah Yeah, there's that moment where he's looking at the trees and you see the hand go across the tree uh the tree stump or what i guess the the main part of it Mm-hmm. And um, there's that moment where they're going up the hill and you see it kind of moving in the background and you're just like oh, that's pretty cool um it makes you wonder how 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 this thing is like how big it is what what's going on um and then like the way they set up like the uh, the creepy cottages and stuff like that and how it kind of pays off at the end you kind of see what it all comes from where it all where it all uh, where, where that certain... I guess interior design, you could say, was inspired from. Um, okay. And I thought the CGI was pretty good and they clearly uh, mm. didn't use a lot of it because they were trying, I guess, to stay on a budget, but it looked yeah. pretty good. The monster was pretty interesting looking. And, um monster
0: was very interesting looking. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's was very, it was cool. Like, it was very, I know we say it a lot, It's very HP Lovecraft. This kind of like,
0: I didn't get that amalgam
1: of creatures, you know, like, and how it, how it works was very cool. Yeah. I I liked how it, how it would draw their people in. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I thought that was interesting. Um, but I'd say out of all the Netflix movies we've watched and we've gone through like the past half year or so, that's probably the best one that we've probably gone through.
0: Yeah, like we did
1: a non a couple weeks back, and we did the Titan a while ago. Everything uh, seems to just fall off at the end. But I don't think didn't. that happened here. To it did honest. I yeah, had I a fe- I felt a like end, it might but... have because it does take a bit of a hard shift at the end, right? It does. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. I was just like, well,
0: that's different. I know. And I was like, like oh, is, yeah. it- <laughs> is this when it we is pa- I had to pause the movie at one point to get up and like refill my you know my glass of water, and I was like hmm, there's a lot
1: of time left.
0: Yeah. It doesn't feel like there should be a lot of time left. And I come back, and I'm like, oh, okay, because we're just going down this But level. I was afraid. And I was okay with
1: it. Yeah, I was okay I was, with it. I thought, like, okay, now there's this thing going on. And I thought, is this where we're going to have that moment, like in the Titan, where we're going to call it, for now we're going to call that the Titan moment, okay? Yeah. Are going okay, to have sure. a Titan moment yeah, where everything just falls off the hinges the last 20 minutes of the movie, you know? Yeah. But I don't think it did that. I think it, it stayed well within the pace of the movie. It, it was a good ending. And I, I liked the way they resolved everything. Um, but it was also really, really interesting. It, the whole, when he's, the, the fire scene was, I don't know what was happening there. But it was it was in the same line of the creepiness that was happening through the rest of the movie. Yeah. And so like there's, there's clearly something going on and I feel yeah. like they're just creating like a, like like a, a, a world that could probably be explored more, but if they don't, I'm okay with it, you know? Like, oh God, please don't, please don't. Yeah. I don't uh, want to see an origin story of this. Don't. I think it would be terrible. But I like want the, the ritual to ritual or electric I boogaloo, no, I don't but like I, I enjoyed it. What do you think about it? I,
0: yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it, too. I thought it was solid. It reminded me a lot of the movie The Descent uh, from,
1: I don't know, like 12 years ago. See, I never uh, saw that, but I've heard decent things about
0: it. Yeah, that was... It's the same sort of premise. Like, a bunch of friends get together to go on, like, an expedition. You know? I mean, in this case, it's it's four guys that were going on a hiking trip in Sweden. And in The Descent, it was a bunch of women who were getting together after a tragedy, just like in the ritual. And they to, go spelunking. Spelunking. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So, and they it bite off more than they can chew. Right. That's, that's kind of the whole thing. So, um, so sorry about that pause. That was like intentional, uh, cause yeah. I had a pop-up. So just okay. so like overall, like I definitely enjoyed it. I don't think it's gonna you know, win any awards or anything like that, but I think like, I agree with you in the sense that for a Netflix, like for these Netflix movies that have been hit or miss, um, a little bit for me, like I've watched quite a few lately. And I do think that this—I would put this definitely above the Titan. Um, I would probably put it a little bit above Anon as well. I think that it's—it's it's just it—it it doesn't really try to do too much. Uh, it kind of plays it pretty straight, and it doesn't really do a whole lot of yeah.
1: It, it stays on target with it. Doesn't game. really
0: push the envelope too. Like I, I also feel like it's a—it's a movie that kind of it does a lot of what you expect it to do. I—I don't think like there's a ton of major like story surprises other than the one that we talked about where like the last act is a little bit different than you would have expected um so that was kind of interesting i thought the characters were kind of cool i do i, I do feel like uh the lead guy like he was he was interesting um because like luke is his name and he uh like, he he was he was the one that was really feeling it because like you know part of what happens in the first five minutes is is he's there when when you know when robert dies and uh he's kind of haunted by that and that's sort of driving him a little bit and it's only been six months and so he's feeling like this immense guilt um and he wonders whether or not his like friends blame him and so i really like the fact that the the lead character had a little bit of depth to them and it wasn't just you know it wasn't just sort of i'm here just to go through the motions so i really liked it and that particular you know, and that particular grief that he was feeling sort of tied in a little bit with it. Um, I also like the, just the creepiness of it. Like there's a lot of strange moments. Um, they find a cabin and within the cabin
1: there's like this weird little room that you look at it and you're yeah. like, well, why is that here? That's really strange. it's weird. And there's some weird moments yeah. like connected to it. And you're just like, yes. what is yeah. going on? So I definitely like movies. I, li-
0: I like it when scary movies focus less on trying to play with you know music and sound and get it really quiet and then make it really loud so that i'm just you know i'm going to jump um and i like it instead when they create uh, you know they create a very eerie ambiance through like strange visuals unexplained phenomenon um mixture of like music and setting and just like character behavior that that i'm like i'm in and i kind of want to know what happens to these people and like that that's the thing with luke is like i kind of was rooting for him you know like if i feel like if i'm i don't like watching movies where i want everyone to die like if i'm if i'm going to watch like a friday the 13th like i'm rooting for jason you know i, I want jason to take them all down and it's because i don't really like any of the major characters this is the type of movie though where i'm like no i kind of like i kind of like some of these folk and i, I kind of want them and so I'm, I'm kind of invested in their ability to see whether or not they can survive and so that that adds an extra lo- layer to it that that made it sort of an enjoyable experience so uh, yeah i i enjoyed it i thought it was a pretty good movie uh, i would recommend it uh, i definitely recommend it if you're a person who likes horror movies like you know it's kind of scary stuff it's not gory in the least um there's a couple moments here and there uh, but nothing even remotely yeah it's it's not like a gore I, fest it's, it's just yeah. In, ter- in terms of it's, gore, it's, it's very, more it's
1: like bio. psychological hmm? horror than it is actual because you don't know what's going on and yeah. like they're being stalked and it's really interesting but like I'd recommend it, too, and for me, too, I, I'm I'm a real big voice when it comes to these types of things, and I was able to not turn away ever. I think the only time I kind of turn away is the whole thumb thing. I was like, I can't watch this. Can't Which watch isn't this. even scary. This like, is gross. You know. Yeah. But, like, that's the only thing. Yeah, I, I always
0: have, like, these like, conversations with my wife where Like when, like, gory scenes happen. She's like, let's not watch this while we eat. I'm like, it's not actual blood that you're seeing. Like, that's it's it's like corn syrup or something, you know? It's not real blood. Like, I don't know. But in this movie, like, I still, I was immersed. So, like, I was immersed in the location, and the setting. It was pretty cool. And, yeah. So, I definitely yeah. recommend it, uh, especially to people who like uh, scary movies.
1: Yeah, sounds good.
0: All right. So, that's it for The Ritual. It's up on Netflix right now. Uh, you can track it down. Watch it at your leisure. Uh, we're going to head over uh, and do a little talk about some role play.
1: Now it's time.
0: Wait, nope, nope. That's the wrong roleplay. All right, so this week on the Little Roleplay Corner, uh, I want to talk a little bit about dungeon delving. And specifically, I want to talk about a formula or process, whatever you want to call it, uh, called the Five Room Dungeon. This is not like an original idea on my part. This is something uh, I found online a bit when I was first getting into DMing about two years ago. And I was just trying to figure out, well, how do you build these things? Because the first time I built a DM, or excuse me, the first time I built a dungeon, I had something like 25 rooms, 30 rooms, all sorts of weird things. And it was super complex. And when, you know, the players were navigating it, they didn't even go to most of them. And, you know, it, it felt like a, a bloated process. So I found this, this five-room dungeon idea. and it's And it's pretty nice. It's pretty simple. So if you're getting into DMing, if you're new to this, because I know that tabletop role-playing is kind of blowing up and a lot of people are trying. Or maybe you're part of a... Maybe you're a part of a, a role-playing group and you haven't DM'd before. Maybe you just want to be really nice and like, you know, do a one shot or two shot and let your let your uh, your DM actually play for once. Yeah, yeah. If uh, if my uh, role-playing group's listening, uh, that's a that's a that's a non-subtle hint right there. Wink wink. Anyway, uh so the basic principle behind fine room dungeons is to keep dungeon crawls from becoming too long, too much of a slog, too boring, and it keeps things moving because part of your job, I think, at least I think as the DM or GM, whatever you refer, uh, is to kind of keep the game moving at an enjoyable pace. So a five-room dungeon... When I, when I use the word dungeon, I also want to make it clear that I'm not talking specifically about, like, it always has to be this dark uh, prison-like dungeon underneath the earth. Like, a dungeon is more like an all-purpose term. It could be anything. You know, it, it, it really could. Any setting. It doesn't have to be fantasy. I'm going to reference a lot of fantasy. I'm going to reference some stuff from my Starfinder campaign, too. Uh, so the five-room dungeon, this is how it works. The first room is the entrance so it's the it's how you actually get in or how you how you move forward into that element of this setting like wherever this location particularly is and the entrance usually has a guardian of some kind that the players need to pass through in order to gain entry to the remainder of that dungeon now when i use the term guardian i'm not necessarily using the term guardian to suggest it has to be some big monster it doesn't have to be like you know two guards that are that are guarding a door but it perfect it very well could be like it totally could be fine um, the idea is that you want there to be an obstacle of some kind that the players have to overcome in order to gain access, and this obstacle can come in many forms. Now, commonly, it comes in a combat encounter, so it's, there's something that you like—you have to beat you know, a big troll, or you have to beat a series of guards, or something like that, that you have to, to beat up to get entry to that specific door, or that specific trap door, or to the cave entrance, or whatever it might be. Uh, but it also could be a role-playing encounter so those same two guards that you could potentially solve by beating them up or killing them or doing whatever you want to do you can also solve that obstacle uh, by talking your way past uh, which is a fun thing to do like i always i don't really like having uh, encounters that are automatically going to be combat encounters like i always make sure that there's ways for players to actually do a different thing like they don't have to fight if they don't want to if they want to come up if they want to talk their way out of it think their way out of it whatever. They can do that if they choose. And another option might be to puzzle their way through it. And so it's not necessarily something that they have to fight or somebody that they have to convince, but it could actually be a puzzle that that they put together. And so if you want to think about a good example, think about Gandalf in uh, Lord of the Rings, right? Uh, the the Fellowship of the Ring, where he has to he's sitting outside trying to get into the Mines of Moria, and he's like, how do I get in? And it's like, oh, it just dawns on him, speak friend. And he just says the elvish word for friend, Frodo does anyway, and then they get in, right? So it could be something like that. The idea of that first room is there is an obstacle of some kind that is standing in the way of the player, uh, the the player's getting inside and you create some kind of encounter for them to get it. So it's kind of fun. So like they can, sure you can just have them walk up and open the door, but I think part of playing the game is actually having challenges. And if you don't have challenges, you don't have these characters, you know, dealing with the challenges, it's not necessarily as enjoyable an experience. Now, the second room is usually another encounter. Now, when I say room, I don't necessarily mean, like, a singular room. It could be a series of rooms. It could be a specific location. It could be a floor. I've done, in my Starfinder campaign, I've built, using the five-room dungeon system, uh, a skyscraper, where I didn't think of it so much as a single room, but I thought of it as floors. And so entry, like, the, the first room was the rooftop they were coming in from the top down second room was like the penthouse levels you know and then the third room and so on so you don't always have to think of it as a singular room it could be a specific location but it's it's some sort of finite location that you determine the parameters of now you you want usually another encounter here but i would encourage you not to necessarily have the exact same type of encounter that you had for the first room so if you design your, your five room dungeon where your first room was a combat encounter i wouldn't necessarily I, so if you uh if you had a combat room for the first encounter i wouldn't necessarily suggest doing combat again in the second encounter because you usually you want to have some sort of variety right you want your players to be able to do different things not everyone builds uh a perfectly you know adept combat class some people like to to delve more into some social abilities some people delve more into utility abilities and so you want to have opportunities for other characters to shine and use those abilities so if you're doing in your first room some sort of guards and in your second room, you can decide to do something that's more along the lines of puzzling, right? You know, something that's thinky, something that where they can all kind of come together and put their collective brains together, or you do a role play encounter of some kind, right? Some sort of role play system where they have to they have to engage with certain people or they engage with some sort of, you know, random bandits or something, right? Now, the third room is a little is a little strange, uh, but it's it's like a misdirection uh, in a way, uh, or a red herring, if you can think about it in those terms. Um, Now, the goal isn't so much to sort of trick the players or undercut them in a way, but what you're looking for here is an element of surprise, like you want to provide some sort of surprise. If every one of the dungeons that you start to develop becomes very predictable and very easy to follow, then, you know, it it gets kind of boring. And that's why you want to iterate a little bit on the five-room dungeon. You don't just want to always make it five. It could be six, it could be seven, it could be four. You know, you can mix it up, but the same principles are kind of still intact, right? So you want some sort of misdirection here. So maybe it's the players having in room two just finished this really, really complex puzzle where they stuck this giant staff into this small little like display of an Egyptian town and they put a headpiece on it, and then the sun came through and a beam shined down to the tomb's location. And now they're like, Oh, sweet. And they run over to the tomb, and you're like, We got access to the tomb. This is awesome. There's gonna be so much treasure in there. It's gonna be great. And you're like, oh crap, this tomb's filled with snakes. What do we do now? Right. So so it's it's misdirection in the sense like they they think perhaps that they found it but in some way like you're you're introducing some other obstacle or another way to think about it is to give choice so maybe they're not na- like they're wandering through a cave and you have them come to some sort of fork in that cave and they can go left or they can go right if they go left maybe they find a, a napping troll that isn't even part of this whole journey like isn't part of this whole quest line and they have to deal with it and or maybe they find something else down that that tunnel. And they find a, a seed for a future quest. Uh, but the point is something else here to add a little bit of flavor, a little bit of misdirection. Um, and then if they go right, maybe they find the actual, you know, room four. Now room four is is the climactic situation. This is when it's really gonna happen. So in the example I gave above in my Starfinder campaign where I haven't I was having my players go through the Tomanaka Tower, like to me, the climactic area was actually um in the kitchen of this this nightclub and it's where this the the person that they were trying to hunt down uh had kept a you know bunch of people hostage within the kitchen and then they were trying to escape uh via a shuttle uh, like a delivery shuttle that was like delivering goods into this kitchen's uh into this kitchen's you know back uh cargo cargo loader and so like that's what i want that's where the fight sort of took place and so you have this climactic area now a lot of times this is going to be a really big cinematic fight right like it's going to be where okay you're fighting the boss now like you came into this. You came into this cave knowing that there were a bunch of gnolls and there was one like gnoll shaman who was running the whole show and now you're fighting that gnoll shaman i mean like that's what's going on now this is the big moment um but don't feel like don't you know don't feel afraid to not make it a big cinematic fight it could be a role-playing encounter like give it an option so maybe instead of you know, maybe in your your d d campaign you had a quest where your players had to go into a bandit camp and they're facing the bandit leader now and like they got all these crossbows trained on your group and you're surrounded and if they fought well they might get wrecked and so maybe you make it a role-playing you know a role-playing or a social encounter in some way uh, that allows them to to get out of it but the point is is that this is like this is this is it this is why they were here this is the big thing now the fifth room uh is is kind of a twist but i And it's also not necessarily a room but the fifth the fifth thing the fifth principle as i should say of this particular system is that after they've had this climactic moment you don't want them to just be like okay it's over we're done let's take a nap and let's leave but you want to maybe seed the next encounter right and so in addition as they're as they're going through like the treasure room and collecting all the goods and the loot that they found or as they're they're rounding up all the refugees that were that were taking hostage by this group of orcs uh now you've that you you drop a quest seat right so one of the refugees says like well there were even more refugees and they were taken to this other location and like another pact of orcs went in that direction so now okay well we won here but the battle you know this small battle is won but the war isn't over or something like that uh so the the idea is add a complication don't undercut the players and what they've accomplished because you want them to have that sense of accomplishment, but find a way to to kind of seed a future a future quest in some way or add a complication. Make it, make it not as, as obvious uh, a resolution as just, we killed the bad guy, we won the end, right? There's something perhaps more to it. I think that's especially true if you're playing a campaign. Now, if you're playing a one-shot, maybe that's it. Maybe you don't add the complication. Maybe they just go in, they find the treasure, and they go back, and you're done. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the case of a campaign when you're when you're kind of looking to string together multiple storylines and multiple things I think that's a way to go about doing um most recently i had uh, i used this system when my players were trying to track down an assassin uh, on a space station called epsilon station and they eventually tracked this character down to uh, this run down and vacant dormitory and i tried to find ways to shake things up it was just a single building and their entry into the building required them to do a role play encounter they had to kind of convince some mobsters to give them some intel uh and actually give them a location then they had to get through uh, some some puzzly traps because the assassin was a little bit paranoid so they set up traps on all the locations and so they had to figure out a way to bypass that and by bypassing, my group just sort of, like, ran inside and just took all the traps, just sort of tanked it all. Um, that's kind of what they do, and nearly died. Uh, but then the twist for me was, like, I had them fighting a bunch of drones, and they're like, oh, it must just be a bunch of drones. And then all of a sudden, like, darkness, like, swept over the area, and this drow assassin steps out of a different room and starts fighting them. And then to make the to make the climactic fight more interesting, I made it so that the, the actual... Uh, the actual villain they were fighting had already rigged the place to explode and so they were like lining up all these explosives all over the place and so when the fight went wrong for that particular character then they were able to kind of blow it up and change the layout of the fight a little bit more making it for a fairly dynamic and climactic fight now for us the fifth room uh, we haven't actually done it quite yet um because we ended just as they uh killed the assassin and the fifth room's more of them kind of going through and searching through the rubble and trying to find like uh, the intelligence that they needed to find, and then and, and they needed to find a computer. So now they're going to actually have to hack into the computer and find the information that they wanted. But perhaps on that computer, I might also put another little tidbit of information that might seed a future quest. You know, so that's uh that's the five room dungeon. I'm I'm not saying you have to use it every time, and I, I mean you don't even have to use it at all. Do whatever the, whatever the heck you want. But for me, I found it to be a pretty good system. Um, I don't always just make it five rooms. Sometimes I make it seven. Uh, sometimes I'll like I'll have uh, linked five room dungeons. So I'll have like one five room dungeon linked to another five room dungeon or something like that. But I basically use it as like the principles. Like how do you build a build a dungeon crawl in a way that's going to have varied encounters and some surprises along the way, and so that it's not the same thing over and over again. And if you're constantly shaking things up, doing things a little bit differently changing your settings so that it's not just the dark cave underneath the earth but somewhere else you know you you tend to have some really fun experiences so if you haven't dm before before maybe if you have and you're just looking for a different way to make kind of an efficient uh an efficient you know dungeon crawl i do recommend it uh, you can probably google the term five room dungeon and find a lot more information on it from people who have been uh, DMing for far longer than i have uh, that's five room dungeon and thank you for listening and now it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. Alright, so the, uh, the Gentleman's Challenge is one of the segments we do on this podcast. Uh, it's where Justin and I assign each other something to watch, some game to play, some movie to go see, uh, in an effort to kind of drive the other crazy most of the time. But every now and then we're nice and we're like, here, this is cool, you should try it. And then to make sure that the other person actually did their homework on the next podcast, uh, we quiz each other just to see what uh, see what they paid attention to. Uh, and so for this week, Justin's going to go ahead and
1: start us off. So Justin, what was your what was your assignment this week? So you made me uh, listen to Limetown, which mm-hmm. is a fictional story. This is how they describe it, by the way. Okay. okay. So I'm going to try to. But I couldn't figure out a way to do it better than what they did. It's a fictional okay. story that follows the investigative reports of Leah Haddock, a journalist for the American uh, American Public Radio. She's investigating the disappearance of 300 people at a neuroscience research facility in Tennessee called Limetown. So it's a 30-minute podcast. It basically is like a mystery fictional uh, story. It's kind of like a cross, like, like an X-Files story or like a... Um, like uh, what's that one with uh that we love so much? It was on Fox for a while. Fringe. Like Fringe, yeah, some that type of thing too. That had me feel of like so there's something not right going on. So basically, Leah is a reporter for I guess the uh, this the APR, which is like their version of the uh, what's the one that is on the radio all the time, the free one. The N- NPR you talking NPR, about? Yeah, yeah, it's their, it's their version <laughs> of the NPR. So, uh, <clears throat> she basically is going around and investigating this town that had 300 people missing. In the first episode, she's kind of just getting the history of what the place was, talking to a few people. At the end of the episode, she gets a call from somebody that um, says they want to meet up with her. And that person... Likely is a survivor of Limetown. In the second episode, she then goes into meet with this person. Her name was Winona. And she has a conversation with her talking about uh, what happened. And Winona had a conversation with her basically saying, I'm going to stay within the structure of what I'm allowed to talk to you about. If you don't with, with stay within the structure, I will not answer the questions. It's very weird and robotic how it happened. She also did not remember talking to her initially, so she's having some some brain problems going on of memory loss. This is very interesting, strange. Media. It sounds like you were having some problems too.
0: Cause you forgot what NPR was. and. Free yeah. And yeah. I, I wonder if listening to the podcast part of also the can affect you.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's, weird. it's part yeah. of the 300, I guess. Um, but yeah. like, I guess it's, it's all about that. And at the end of that episode, um, she kind of has like a little freak out and says that Leah has to keep digging to find out that she has part of this that she needs to keep going kind of a weird little creepy moment um it has some like it's it's a, it's a it's a pretty creepy little podcast but it's it's good i liked it a lot um so i guess my initial thing is i like it a lot i i was cool. I, I listened to first two episodes before you told me i had to listen to two episodes i, I got <laughs> straight through it it's good for the morning like for me to kind of start my day um, it's a really interesting, intricate story with some weird uh backgrounds. Like, I, I you don't really know what's going on. It, it's uh 300 people up and leaving. The way they describe it is like almost as if they just left their homes with no with whatever they were doing, they just stopped and just left. There's no there's no remains, there's nothing. Um, so it's it's interesting. There's I think there's it's one peculiar. one thing of remains, it was mm-hmm. like uh someone's teeth or something. Mm-hmm. So but it's a really good story. Um cool. I liked it a lot and I'll probably finish it out cuz it's only like the first season six episodes. Yeah. I think there's two and a half seasons or something like that.
0: Something like that. Yeah. So, I haven't looked at it for a while. It was actually one of the first podcasts um serial podcasts that I got into a couple years back, but I haven't touched on it. Like that's why I gave it to you. Cuz it's one of the first ones that opened up that and uh and Welcome to Night Vale where like sort of the two ones that open i was like oh my is so much god weirder. all these things yeah. yeah
1: well like it's it's different than when i say weird it's different from welcome to nightville welcome to nightville is like what's the weirdest things we can think of saying in a sentence and put them together to create a coherent thought that's what yeah. Welcome to Night Vale is it's kind this of like is, a madlet in a way yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. give me a person place or thing that have no relation to each other let's put it into one thing uh but this is more like creepy ambiance of what's happening and the acting is really good, too. So I like that, too. So, Cool. What questions you got for me about this? I think I'm ready okay. for this one. I
0: got five I, questions. I, I know I'm doing. I, I, think, you'll do, I think you're going to do well on this one. Okay. Because right. uh, I listened to them again. And I'm like, man, there's not a whole lot to quiz you on on this there's one. Not. <laughs> it's just kind of hard. Uh, so uh, first question. The name of the podcast is Limetown. Uh-huh. Where did the name Limetown
1: come from? Um, They said that. I think it was because... It sat on a large deposit of limestone. Is that what it was?
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a partial credit for that. It was, uh, it was specifically from... It was caves. Like It was on top of caves, but okay. like, I assume it's limestone caves. And okay. they're doing, they They built it there. Like The idea being like it was going to somehow help cooling. I'm not really sure. Yeah, they're science facility. But yeah. but yeah, you got partial credit for that. Okay. For sure.
1: right. okay. Okay. Okay.
0: okay. Okay. Number two. How long has it been since the Limetown incident at the start of the podcast?
1: Um what was it
0: what was it indeed it's a number indeed it was mm. this is where justin's trying to google very quietly was he it have a mechanical keyboard that makes oh low well, enhance i just heard it i just heard the typing he's doing
1: know. it could it possibly have various <laughs> such a, um, cheater. Such I a cheater i don't know i think it's I want to say six months, but I think it's two years. Oh, those are both wrong. Oh, ah, okay. Those are both wrong. It was ten right. years. Ten years? Okay, that's a long yeah, time. Ten years. That's yeah. much different than... Yeah, you're totally okay. wrong. Your all Googling right. skills need work. Yeah, i got to really look it up better. Okay.
0: <laughs> all right, question three. All question right. three. What did the man they were all here for draw, and what color was it? What did he draw? hmm There's one specific thing that... Uh, was mentioned that uh, the man that they were all here for drew which i can't remember
1: there were other things
0: he certainly drew but he he drew one thing specifically i can't remember it was a bowl of fruit and it was black and then the other man in the other
1: room also drew a
0: bowl of fruit but that one was blue and it was identical even the mistakes. yeah i
1: remember that
0: yeah Yeah.
1: and they were doing it at the synchronous order like at the same time
0: exactly it's very bizarre
1: very bizarre okay here we go, easy one.
0: Ready? Uh, what did Winona give Leah at the end of their interview?
1: Is this an easy
0: one? This is an easy one. I thought this quiz was easy. I'm actually a little bit disappointed in you right now. Uh, a little I was disappointed. Doing, like you. three days ago, my brain's old. I know. I and you, you know, whatever, whatever weird powder that uh, that they were inhaling, you're inhaling now. Yeah, too, it's so. gotta be what it is. Um, what did Winona give Leah at the end of their interview?
1: She gave dear. her, I thought she gave her the name of her daughter. Uh, was it a hug? Was it? Oh, that's, that's
0: incorrect. She gave her a cell phone in a padded envelope uh, on which a uh, person, person will call. What Wait, I was well, going to say. Said. Why didn't you say it? You said her I daughter. No.
1: Here, here, take my daughter. Like what? Oh, I'm the name of her daughter. Okay. My brain don't work so good no more.
0: Right. So. You're not doing too well in this. Yeah, not so All good. Right. Here is the
1: easiest of all this. Okay, let's, so let's see what happened to the people of limetown. Well, they're not what dead. Mm.
0: What the, the, the question, Justin, uh, is, is what I'm just curious. What do you think happened? Oh,
1: what did I think happened? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that they, so what do I think happened from the yes, two episodes the I've seen so far. <laughs> I think that they were experimented on with their brains in the facility unknowingly. And mm-hmm. something went off in their head that made them all leave at the same time. Sure. Uh, and they just relocated. I, I, you get
0: points, sir. I'm not saying that's correct or incorrect, but I'm giving you points because you're going to get points no matter what for that question. All right. I did it. Uh, I'm not going to spoil yeah. it. So you got they one all killed each other. Is that right? five. No, I was hoping you're going to say something silly, like they all went and took community college art courses or something. <laughs> they,
1: I really yes. want to work on that Great. black and blue fruit. So yes. So,
0: but Limetown, successful again. It's, two it's two good, but it, trilogy.
1: it is good. Um, okay. The problem is that I did listen to it like four days ago. So my brain ain't so good no most. Sure. Yeah, so that's, old, what, it is. I mean, that's what it is. So, yep. all right. Okay. Okay. What did you yeah. watch? Well,
0: uh, I watched a movie called mm-hmm. Mythica, uh-huh. A Quest for Heroes, which Sorry. is apparently, apparently part of uh, a kind of run of movies. I think there's like four or five of these. Uh, I don't like know how they keep getting made The Dark Spore, Mythica, The Necromancer, Mythica, The Iron Crown, and Mythica, God Slayer, which is apparently the final film, which is the fifth one, which oh, is released are five of them. So, because when Justin assigned me Mythica, like I had to be like, "Wait, which Mythica was it?" We had to look it up. I'm like, "Whoa, like,
1: Kevin Sorbo
0: well, that one." Yeah, and like, well, nope, he's credited in all of them. Uh, so it's directed by Ann K. Black, and it stars Melanie Stone and Adam Johnson, and definitely not Kevin Sorbo. Like he's he's on the cast list. It says it's starring him, but this he's like in the freaking movie for 45 <laughs> seconds, and then he's gone. So I didn't get to see his abs once, okay? I mean, that's whatsoever. really that's the worst I didn't thing get I to like. hear him get choked up once. All I saw him is, like, throw some some paper into a fire. So I'm very upset. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, there's a bunch of these movies. I, I don't know if he's in the other ones, the sequels, for longer, uh, but he plays Gojin Pai. I don't even know if that's, like, ever even mentioned. I only know it because I looked it up on IMDb. So here's my summary. Uh, after an angry dude uh, like sucks some like weird uh, like misty stuff out of an old guy at a church, mm-hmm. uh, one of the priestesses at that church runs off with a rock. And apparently yeah. this rock is really important. But an ogre attacks her and her sister. The sister heads off to find help while the rock-holding priestess is captured by the ogre. Mm-hmm. Then, com- in a completely different location, in a completely terrible cut, a slave girl uh who's who's practicing magic and has a bum leg, uh puts together an adventuring crew to help uh-huh. out the priestess. Yada yada yada. They rescue the rock holding priestess from the ogre and then uh to be continued. All there right. You know. That's what happened in that movie. Stuff happens Sounds happened. like the ramblings cool. of a crazy person or a child. It felt to me, honestly, it felt to me like this was it was D D it was D D, man. It was like a D D uh like session. Uh, or adventure like it was like a singular D adventure so like maybe two or three sessions worth of a dD thing it's like okay let's get our party together well they got a priestess so they got a healer okay got it they need a tank got that no problem all right that was thane they uh they need a rogue got that with Dagan all right we need a mage okay got that with merrick so we got our our big four it's not the on the holy trinity so there's another term for i suppose for having four in a party but there's a four person party which is a common number for rpgs Quadruplet. and they kind of go on they have a quest and they go and achieve that quest and they beat the boss at the end of that quest and they rescue what they rescue. And then they go back and they're like, what can we get for this? And they're like, here, have a free beer and an ounce of respect or something like that. And then to be continued for the next adventure. So it felt very much like a D&D, uh, a and d flick. Now, what did so I think about it? You're th- so you're telling me it's fantastic then? I don't think it's, okay. How do I put this? it's definitely not the most refined and high budget production ever but at the same time for what it is it's fine like it's it was fine Come like on. i don't Come No, on. i mean like like it's not like it's not great like it's definitely not great like it's not incredibly well acted it's not incredibly well written like the the graphics are not incredibly great like, the ogre at times is kind of cool, like, just individually. But then the other times, like, all the cinematography when they're trying to fight the ogre is just silly. Like, when they show us the CGI ogre, and then he does some sort of weird movement of his arm, and then a person gets knocked down. And I'm like, listen, dude, that fist that that ogre has is bigger than that entire person. And they're not just going to get knocked down. They're going to, like, get smashed a bitch when that ogre, o- ogre hits them. So, yeah. like, there's a lot or of just weird... just get knocked
1: down lightly. That's what yeah. ogres do. That's
0: what basically happened. And, like, the tank... It was really funny because the tank Thane, eventually he just was like getting strangled and knocked down and he never did anything. He just like, oh, oh, Thane's down again. So anyone have a healing pot? Like it felt like I was at yeah. a and d session. He was really successful. Fight. He did. Yeah. So like, I don't think it was great. Like there was stuff that really bothered me. Like there were times when it looked at the, like in the beginning it looked at the town and then it CGI'd in like really bad and out of focus snow. And like why are you doing that like it was actually like the village looked fine You didn't need to put that stupid cgi snow and then they did another section where they did like a like a, a shot of the landscape with some like mountains and sky and whatever and then like they cgi'd the sky like why do you cgi the sky like that's so ridiculous it looks It terrible. Needs to be beautiful well no they that's needed it to perfect. have like clouds and i'm just like well then just it just doesn't have clouds whatever like it's just those
1: types of things, I think, you know,
0: was totally unnecessary. Did you
1: like the nighttime shooting that was clearly daytime with a filter on it?
0: Yeah, like, there was that one point. Oh, my God, that was pretty awful. Um, it's like they put sunglasses over top of the camera that they were shooting with. Uh, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> it's that for um, Coosville shooting. Yeah, and, like, there were other moments, like, and one of the other things that I felt like there wasn't a whole lot of, like, the characters choosing to do things was more of, like, them just stumbling into things here and there. But, look it's 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 fine like i told you when you assigned it to me like you think i'm gonna like not enjoy it but like no it was fine like it was the type of it was the type of movie that i would watch if i'm really bored and tired and like not wanting to do anything because i was working all week and i just want to sit down on like a three o'clock on a sunday and watch and that's kind of what i did so um i i don't recommend it I, i i can't like i can't i think there's I think there are are far better fantasy movies than this. There's and literally like,
1: millions better movies than this. There's
0: literally not
1: millions better. That is
0: that is not what the word literally means. Uh, yeah. There are not literally. It means like literally.
1: Fantasy movies
0: better than this. Um, but there are definitely fan- better fantasy movies than this. So, like, if you have Amazon Prime Video and it's free for you and you like this kind of stuff, if you're a big D&D fan, if you like and you don't really care about, like, super high quality, watch it. You get a kick out of it, I think, and how like, the tank just keeps... Man, the tank just keeps, you know, going down, and then like the darn, the darn mage can't cast the right spell, or like whatever they're casting the spell on, they keep making their saves, so the spell never works, or like the rogues keep wandering off on his own. Like it's the same. It's just like the usual stories that you get at the D D session. So like I kind of got to chuckle at those types of things, but like, it wasn't a very great. It wasn't a good movie. Like it, it wasn't. But you know, I still
1: All right. had a mildly entertaining time. Well, are you ready for your quiz questions then? Yeah, whatever. I got them for you. Go I ahead. hope I'm you're ready you got one uh, you got one already the I did, question too. that you did get was how much is an ogre's ear worth <laughs> at the very end yeah yeah a little respect and a, and a free beer a, yeah. a, a free drink and a smidgen of respect yeah I
0: feel say. like that is not uh <clears throat> th- that's not a good scale for an ogre's ear I feel like yeah I feel like bad. it
1: was a little bit inflated yeah. or yeah it uh... was wrong all right so yeah. next question what do the adventurers have that everyone is so happy about in the town when everyone's like, "Yay! Yay! What do the adventurers uh, come back it was with? Dragon eggs. That's correct. They yeah, had dragon eggs. Dragon eggs. So yep. that's that's another one for you. Next question, what does Trella do that Dagon thinks is bad luck? Trella, who's Trella? Trella the priestess. It's Tila. Tila, the whatever. Uh, I wrote what does it wrong. Tila do? <laughs> what did she do that that Dagan thinks is bad luck? Um, wasn't she? she like
0: she was praying at some point? Um,
1: mm-hmm. Is that what she was doing?
0: She was doing. She praying? Is that what's she was praying. She was like praying to the goddess
1: for protection. Something like that. I think that was that. That's what she was doing. So I'll give you I'll give you credit for this one. It's praying on her necklace. That's what she does. That he thinks is bad luck for that's not that what he thinks was bad luck was the necklace he was he thought her right. asking
0: the god asking the goddess for Listen, for protection i gave you i gave you credit it. i gave it, has credit. it. it has
1: nothing to do with the necklace the You're necklace good. had nothing to do with it i do the necklace, do with the necklace. Has all right nothing to do with the necklace last so question look. and this was gonna be tough how fantastic was the dialogue that was clearly meant for english accents that how, so how great was that dialogue when there wasn't an English accent slapped onto it? So yeah, <laughs> I, I'm curious of your thoughts on this and I'll wait for your response. Okay. So I have a couple thoughts on this, well, first of all, like, I
0: don't know, it, it wasn't good, um, like specific, okay. The, 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 ones that were like the biggest, uh, I, I guess perpetrators of this were, or Thane, so the tank guy and, uh, and actually Kevin Sorbo himself, uh, cause they didn't do English accents whatsoever uh, uh American Dagan but they talked They talked like if they did though yeah so yeah it wasn't it wasn't good like it wasn't good so that's the answer to the question it just wasn't good
1: but I have some thoughts uh answers wrong I'm sorry it was fantastic no right, it really right wasn't answer. that's not the right answer I'll, 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 give the the answer. I'll just get okay so
0: answer. like here are my thoughts I feel like too often we use British accents and uh in like RPG settings, and I and I think we need to stop. And like one of the things that I've started to do, and uh, by playing Starfinder so much, is like we started to experiment with other accents. And one of the coolest thing that happened in our game uh, was that uh, one of one of our friends Keith, who plays a dragonkin, he came up with an accent. He wanted to do like this super western accent. We started this game back in November, and he came in and he's like. I got a voice and he started doing his voice and it was like oh my god it's awful but like at the same time i loved it and then i also was doing kind of a a southern accent for a guy who was from the same planet and so it kind of became canon so that this particular planet was like the southern texas type accent so i think we should have more accents which sh- i don't think we should focus so much
1: on yeah Brits. but when they're like i privy and they say it in a minnesota accent it doesn't really mm-hmm. work so great you know oh I mean? my
0: god a minnesota imagine the lord of the rings all in minnesota a minnesota accent
1: oh my goodness three rings oh, for you know? three rings for the dwarf lords don't you know nine oh, for so. the for the kings of men that'd be great
0: so anyway it was not fabulous uh it was not i uh i stand by that answer all, all
1: right, right so, so glad you enjoyed it then so it was fine yeah it was mildly entertaining like <laughs> i would call it that mildly entertaining All right. So So, what's your challenge
0: for me coming up here? Rounding out the trilogy for podcasts. I have yet another podcast for you. Uh, This is a different kind of podcast. So I've given you the, I've given you the welcome to night Vale podcast, which is like individual standalone podcast. Yeah. I've given you the serial podcast, which is a fictional pseudo documentary, right? Mm -hmm. Now I'm giving you an, this is the other type of podcast that I listen to. I'm giving you, well, there's actually had two more types, but this is this is the other one I'm going to give to you. This is an actual pl- RPG play podcast. Okay. So this is people actually playing RPG. And so this one's called Androids and Aliens. It's Androids a Starfinder. Yeah, and Androids and Aliens. It is a Starfinder actual play podcast. Just started a couple weeks back. Um, and it's by the Glass Cannon Network, who did a very long – they're still doing it uh actual play pathfinder podcast, I believe. And so this is Starfinder. So I started listening to it All because right. we're playing Starfinder and I just kinda wanted to see how other people were playing Starfinder. And that's kinda cool to hear other people doing it. So um there are a bunch of professional comics in uh and, and such, like doing it in New York and it's pretty
1: pretty fun. So hopefully right. you enjoy it. I got one me? for you. Um, All right. I know how much you don't really like reading superhero comics. Okay. I, I just don't like superheroes, yeah. But I thought I'd give you one of the biggest staples in DC history. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I was mm-hmm. I was bouncing around in my head. What should I give him? I know how much you like Batman, mm-hmm. so I thought about giving you Batman Year One, which is by Frank Miller. I might do that later. What
0: What do office supply products have to do with superheroes?
1: Biggest staple. Get it? Stable? Uh, I'm just gonna see my that way fell out. real see flat. It? It's alright. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. So I thought I thought Batman Year One would be good because that's like the biggest staple. That's like the quintessential. Uh, uh, like origin story of Batman by Frank which Miller. You, I know, you, I know you. And do he's like, like
0: my fa- he's like my favorite of the as superheroes. And, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah sure, sure. But I thought instead another great one, which is one of my favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. It's called Kingdom Come, oh. by Mark Wade and the oh. artist by Alex Ross. Alex Ross is probably the best artist in the game. Each okay. or each panel he makes looks like a looks like a painting. Get and, to the uh, title. I'm waiting for it. I want to hear the shoe drop. Who's the superhero? Uh, so uh, it's everybody, but the main the main character is. Superman. I know it. I know who it is. The main character is Superman. I hear you. But it's old Superman. It. He's got he's got like white in his hair, and he's got a black under the red S. So he's gonna be a little bit more brooding. It's it's a phenomenal story. It's a future it's a future story about okay. when the I old will... guard is going away, and the new guard is coming in. Basically, so. I will
0: acquire and I will read.
1: About Superman. All right, so that's Kingdom Come,
0: Mark Wade, and Alex okay. Ross. All right. Uh, well, I uh, I'm hungry and uh, I want to go eat, so okay. we gotta close this sucker down. Uh, so first of all, if you want to find us up on the old interwebs, uh, you can find us at Lollygagger Co. Uh, up on Twitter, uh, you can also find us at lollygaggerco.com. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast and if you feel so inclined, we would love if you could uh, drop us a review up on iTunes. Uh, it would definitely uh, help us uh, expand the audience maybe a little bit. Uh, and if you think uh, there's things we could do better, feel free to to point those out. Uh, if you think there's things that Justin can do better, I agree. Uh, I, agree. I don't think that's possible. Nope. My stuff's nope. perfect. Yep. And when Justin starts streaming again, which will be soon, because his year like is coming so. to a close, probably next episode, uh, we'll probably start plugging that a little bit more heavily again. Uh, and hopefully we can get back to our Far Cry campaign. So, save those Montanians. Yep. Yeah. And with that note, I think it's time... Uh, we start uh, doing a little thank yous. All right. All right, right, so to the city officials in charge of overseeing road improvements in my neighborhood, thank you for holding a neighborhood meeting about it. But why is the meeting during the middle of the day in a hundred degree temperature in someone's freaking driveway? So uh, yeah, thanks, I guess.
1: My first thank you goes to Time. I want to thank you for not going fast enough and making my ear last this much longer why can't these days go any faster i just want summer to come thanks a lot time okay for me i want to i want to
0: send a shout out to wind uh you are the only thing that keeps my dog in check she is deathly afraid of the wind uh, and it's been really windy lately Uh, so uh thank you air element
1: my final thank is more of a congratulations. got news recently that my brother, Jeremy, has another vice along the way. A um, little nugget in my, uh, my sister-in-law's belly right now. So congratulations, brother. Congratulations, Jeremy. Um, I'm, very, I'm very happy for you guys. I can't wait to see another little uh, uh, beautiful baby come from you guys. So congratulations.